All right, can I just say it? Chuck E. Cheese is full of lies. Okay, I said it. Any Chuck E. Cheese fans in the house? No, I didn't think so, because if so, there'd be something wrong with you, right? Chuck E. Cheese is full of lies, and so we had a Chuck E. Cheese experience. You'll get where I'm going in just a second. We had a Chuck E. Cheese experience a while back with my nephews, who are now 7 and 10. At the time, they were probably 6 and 9. It's been about a year, maybe two years ago. And so we went, and, and they had kind of bent our arms and said, hey, we want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. We want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. We're in Nashville. Let's go to Chuck E. Cheese. And I was like, all right, fine. We'll go to Chuck E. Cheese. They have a big sign that when you walk in the door, here's what the sign says. The sign says, the best fun you can have for $10. There's two lies in that. Number one, you're not going to have fun, so there's lie number one. Number two, anybody been to Chuck E. Cheese for $10? It is $110 if it's a dime, am I right? If you've been, it's like, we'll get you started for $10, but you ain't leaving there with a $10 tab. And so the best fun you can have for $10, and I was like, here we go, lie number one, lie number two. So we get in there, and so we're, we're kind of navigating through this juvenile casino that is called Chuck E. Cheese, and we're, we're playing skee-ball, and we're gambling over here with this or that, and we're collecting tickets, right? And every now and then you might hit a jackpot, and, and, and so you, you, you keep tabs throughout the day, or at least I do, on how many tickets you have. And so we've already been to the prize counter about six times at this point, kind of calculating and saying, okay, here's where we're trying to get. And, and uh, you know, we're looking and going, okay, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. So we get what we feel like is a pretty big pile of tickets, and we make our way to the prize counter. We run them through the little machine that counts. But now, if you're like me, I always count my tickets because I don't trust the machine. And so I've already pre-counted, and so I know I've got 580 and it better, and so it shoots out 582. And we're like, all right, so fine, you can't count. I'll take that. And so here we are. I guess that's lie number three, the machine lies, because it doesn't tell you the accurate count on tickets. So we're there, and we have, we have achieved kind of mid-shelf level on the day. I mean, we're not talking spider rings and sweet tart packets, okay? I mean, we have graduated up. And so we're, we're kind of negotiating through this. We're trying to get out the door. And then this, this, this we'll call him a student, this, this teenager, walks behind and he says, all right, what do we got? And he says something that just infuriates me. You know, for a few more tickets, you could be up on the next level where the really good stuff is. Lie number three. There is no really good stuff. It's all cheap, manufactured. I could buy this for, what, $3 at the dollar store? What are we doing here? I'm already $42 in on tokens. And now you have convinced my nephews, who I have already had to spend 10 minutes negotiating the mid-level shelving, now you have convinced him that the really good stuff is one level above where we have. And so this is what happens. Uncle Jason, you know, he's right. If we could just spend a little bit more and get a few more tickets, then we could get into the really good stuff. I bought more coins. So here we go. And I go to kind of my wheelhouse. Where can I get the most tickets the quickest, right? Well, I'm a skee-ball guy. Like, give me those pocket corner 100s, it's on. And so we're hitting those, and I'm like, okay, we're collecting, we're collecting, we're collecting. Then we get back to the counter, and we have graduated up a shelf. Now, what I didn't know is that my nephew all along was lying because what he wanted, so lie number four, we, he wanted two shelves up, but he's thinking in his mind, if I can incrementally walk my uncle up the shelving, then I will eventually get him to where we want to be. 
So we get back there, and I said, buddy, it is over. We are done, and that's not a lie. I don't have any more money. And so finally, through, again, this negotiation process, and and that's the thing. You spend as much time at the prize counter as you do the entire meal. And so we finally negotiate through this, and we land on this airplane thing. We know more clear the parking lot, and this thing has seemingly broke. Meltdown is coming. You know what I'm talking about? You can feel it. It's like, like you can just feel it come through the car, and I'm driving, and you, Uncle Jason, I think this thing's broken, and I'm like, buddy, it's not broke. You have to be outside in order for it to work, lie number five. <laughs> See, we've carried the lies into the car now. No, 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 it's not meant to fly in here. It only works properly when it's outside. And he goes, no, but I think the wing is broke. I'm like, no, it's not broke. It's just like, I'm not going back. So we get home, and we kind of put this thing, what I think is properly, and I immediately notice this thing's broke, but I'm not going to tell him that. We go out into the yard. We wind this thing. We throw it. It crashes. It is for sure now broke. And I love what my nephew says. He looked and he said, this, that guy lied, Uncle Jason. This stuff's not good at all. Chuck E. Cheese sucks. And I looked and I said, and the truth shall set you free. I didn't say that. I'm not that spiritual. But I'm just saying that I'm like, finally a truth. Chuck E. Cheese sucks. But he come to this place where he understood that it really wasn't what it was cracked up to be. Tickets lie. Stuff that promises to be the really good stuff lies. Money lies. And so uh, last week we set out on this journey to begin to understand what it means to be rich. There's all kinds of ways. There's things that will come across your Facebook feed or into Instagram or your life today. And if not today, it'll be sometime tomorrow. There'll be all sorts of things that will enter into your life and through will cross somehow your attentive patterns that will say, here's how to get rich. But there's nothing that's going to come alongside of us and go, hey, here's how to be rich. And so we said last week, we want to set out on this this course, this journey for the next two or three weeks where we understand what we've been given, what we've been blessed with, and how to live into those things. Not even the accumulation of more things, but how to live into those things. So how do we begin to be rich? Because there is significant opportunities that are going to come our way when we come to the understanding of how rich we are. But... There's also going to be significant spiritual challenges that will come our way because we don't understand how rich we are. And so there's, on one hand, these significant opportunities that are are just waiting on us to kind of capture them and step into them. And on the other hand, there's these spiritual, these significant spiritual challenges and traps. And so there's this tug of war, are we rich, are we not? And some of us go, whoo, good thing I'm not rich. I don't have to worry about this. I'm still in the trying to get rich phase. I just want to encourage you, go back and listen to last week because what you're going to see is that you're going to see and hear and and through, through not just the word but through statistics that every single one of us in here is rich. Everybody thinks they know somebody who's rich, but I'm not rich. And so we talked about last week, we are all rich. And so here's the good news. You're rich and here's the bad news. You're rich. 
But money lies. And so here's what happens. We begin to live under its pressure. We begin to live under its power. We begin to live under its deceitfulness. Jesus tells a story about a sower, and you got to remember in that day and time, uh, agricultural was really big, and so Jesus has some some common people, some farmers, some some marketplace people, some business people. He has them all gathered around. He begins to tell a story. He calls these things parables, and there's stories that are about everyday life where when someone would hear this, they, they would go, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I know what a sower does, but then there would always be this spiritual twist to it, and so he tells this story about a sower, which is somebody that just spreads seed. And so they, they wouldn't have any sort of machinery that would do this. They would, they would wear like this, this cape or this apron, and they would just have seed, and they would just scatter the seed. And so he's saying, hey, there is seed that is being scattered by a sower, and it hits all these different places. For some, it hits this kind of dry, you know, desolate place, but it still hits it. For some, it's going to fall on the path, and it's going to be walked over. For some, it's going to fall among thorns and bushes. And then there's some that's going to fall on the ground that it was intended to be planted on, the good soil. And everybody's like, yeah, I've been there. You know, I wish there was a way that we could not waste some of the seed over here but put it all on the good soil. You know, and about the time I'm over here and I start to see growth, there's something that happens, you know, the sun bakes it or the thorns kind of choke it out. So he's got everybody right here. And then he begins to say, let me tell you what this means. And he gets to one soil in particular. He talks about this soil that in it there's thorns. So what happens is whatever was being planted there, wheat or barley or whatever, would begin to show up, and because of the thorns that were already there placed, it would get choked out. And this is what he says about some of the seed, again, spiritually talking, this will of God, the word of God, God's plan for your life, that's the seed. He's saying, here's what's going to happen in some of those places. And look what he says in verse 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers, so he said, let me explain it to you, to someone who hears the word, hears what God has for their life, hears what God's plan is for their life and how to step into that and how to live into that. But the worries of this life and, look at this, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful, making it unfruitful. He says the It's deceitful. Wealth, money, stuff that promises to be the good stuff, tickets. It's full of lies. Chuck E. Cheese says if you get enough tickets, you'll be happy. And then the tickets, here's what happens to you and I the tickets turn to dollars. If I can get enough of those, I'll be happy or I'll feel significant or I'll feel secure. And the tickets always promise more than they are able to deliver. The tickets, money, stuff always promises more than it can deliver. The world says... Chase money so that it will serve you well. And Jesus comes along and says, try it. Try it. It's not going to lead to any place of depth. 
It's not going to lead you to what it is that you want most and the motivation and the reason that you begin chasing it, devoting yourself to it, and loving it in the first place. He says, because what each of us need deep down is we need purpose. And purpose that comes through a loving relationship. Because in the context of an unconditional loving relationship, we find what? Happiness or joy. We find security and significance. And he says, listen, you can chase all of that stuff, but here's what's going to end up happening. You think that if you can get enough of it, that it will serve you well, and what will happen is you will end up serving it. You will become the servant. You will become the slave. Earlier in in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving his inaugural address. It's what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's early on. It's one of the first times he stands up and says anything to any of his followers or people that have just gathered by. And he covers a, a gamut of things. He covers all sorts of things. He's saying, listen, I'm getting ready to start my ministry, and you're going to begin to see and hear, and and it's going to be fabulous. And so let me give you kind of the highlights, and you're going to need to tune in and follow me to the next episode to really see. But let me give you all sorts of things that this kingdom, this new covenant is going to usher in, that I, this Messiah, the Christ, I'm going to usher in. And right in the middle of that, one of the things he addresses is money. He addresses riches and stuff. And here's what he says. He says, no one can serve two masters. Woo! That's strong language because he's saying that you are a slave to something. You will be a servant to something. That in some aspect, in some area of your life, you can't be the master of it all. So something is going to, at some point in your life, assume a master role. And he says, you can't serve two masters. He says, either you will hate one, oh, again, strong language, and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he gets really specific. You, what? Cannot serve both God and money. And we look at that, or I do, and I go, why money? Why money? I mean, that is really, really specific. I mean, why not you can't serve both God and fame? You can't serve both God and power. You can't serve both God and and sex. Why money? And here's what Jesus is doing. He is laying a foundation or he's giving an overview of where it all goes wrong because he understands that money or mammon, as the true Greek word there says, he says it's attractive and it's alluring he says that, that, that it will be the number one competitor for your heart. And then he knows. Because money, stuff, will be the number one competitor of your heart. But he also knows this, that with money comes the rest of it. Guys, there are people in our world that are in power for no other reason than what? Money. It's not because They have somehow shown themselves to be qualified. It's money. There are people who are famous for no other reason than money. The Kardashians. There's no reason these people should be famous other than now being Kanye's wife. There's no reason. Why? Money. There are people that are involved in all sorts of what? Sexual stuff. Why? Because of money. See, money's where it starts. 
And with it comes everything. It will be the number one competitor for your heart. It will be the thing that you chase the hardest because you believe if you can compile enough of it, then everything else that you desire will begin to take place and take shape. And it will begin to what? Not serve you. It will begin to turn it into who you serve. Money promises only what God can provide. Let me give you a couple quick things. Money says that it will provide you happiness. And what we figure out is only God can provide us joy. And there's a significant difference in those two. That, that we think we want to be happy, and what God says, no, what you really want and need the most, and when you get a taste of it, you're going to love it, is joy. This joy that comes in being known and valued and loved. Money will promise you security. That's why we, we build 401s. That's why we build massive accounts. And again, I'm not saying any of this stuff is wrong until it becomes what we serve. But it begins to lie to you and say, hey, a little bit more. If you'll set a little bit here, if you'll do this and this and this with it, you know what? There'll be security for you, not just for today, but there'll be security for you tomorrow. And Jesus says, you want to feel secure? Don't you feel secure in the context of, again, a loving relationship where you're not judged, where you are known, where you are valued, and you have been created with a specific purpose? He says, isn't that what gives us the most sense of security? By the way, those are things I offer. Again, guys, I have been caught up in this Oh, if I just had a little bit more, I would be happy. If I had, if I had, if I had the, the 82nd pair of shoes instead of the 81st pair of shoes, if I could just find the Yeezy Lundmarks, then I'd be happy. If I could just get the iPhone 11, I'd be happy. If I could just get into a different neighborhood in a different school zone, I'd be happy. If I could just get a new car, I'd be happy. And again, it promises things that God can only give. Because we get to that place, and guess what? I'm no more happier than I was. I was happy momentarily. Security. Oh, if I just had a little bit more, I'd feel secure. If I just had someone else that really knew me and, 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 and didn't expect crazy things from me, then I'd feel secure. You know, I'd pay off my debt, and I'd set up fences, and I'd, I'd live in a gated neighborhood, and then I would feel secure until something happens. Someone dies. Someone cheats. Someone moves. Someone, something happens. And again, we're left because only God provides those things. And so Jesus says, listen, you, you, can't, you can't serve two masters. You can't love these two things. Not with your whole heart. You can't be devoted. You can't make life solely about both of these things. You can't chase both God and money. Let me give you a little barometer test. If you've ever bought something that you can't afford with money you don't have to impress someone that you don't like, then you are to a degree living under the influence and power of money. Let me say it again. If you bought something you don't need with money you don't have to impress somebody you don't like or that you hope would like you, then again, we're living under that. If you have compromised your integrity on an expense report, or you've pirated media, or you've said my kid's 11 when they're really 15 in order to eat free, because kids eat free. 
You get where I'm going? When we begin to do those things, because you know what, man? I could save $8. And $8 doesn't make any difference in my life, but it's $8. Or if you compromise your family time trying to earn money for them when really all they need is more of you, and again, you're living under this influence. You're living under this power. So, in the few minutes that we have left, how do we tackle this? How do we dethrone this? Now that we're kind of aware of it and everybody's feeling guilty for what they have, right? You're welcome. Take it up with God. How do we begin to dethrone these things? Well, I think in order to do that, we got to go back for just a second to last week. First Timothy, Paul says something to this young preacher who is trying to help people understand that, listen, as you begin to surrender your life to God, there's a few things that have to adjust. You can't chase the same things that you've been chasing. So Paul says, I need you to address a specific group of people, which we said last week includes all of us. And so here's what he says. Command those who are rich in this present world, do not be arrogant nor put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. So last week, here's what we pulled from this. We pulled three things. Here's kind of the, the underpinning, the foundation of this. In order to begin to live rich, we have to what? Do good, be generous, willing to share. That's what we said it several times last week. Do good, be generous, and willing to share. So I want to go back and look at this real close one more time. Look at the last part of verse 17. He says, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything. So here's the bottom line. I will trust, or I will not trust in riches, but I will trust in God who richly provides. So he says, listen, after you get past the practicals, do good, be generous, be willing to share, he says, it comes back to a trust thing. And you can't trust what lies. He says, don't trust the stuff more than the one who richly provides the stuff. And here's why I say this this week. You've got to know that, and you've got to be prepared for what comes with that. You've got to know that the, that the, the power of money is going to be relentless. It is going to tear away at the very fabric of that statement that you can't trust what you don't see. You can't trust what, what doesn't deliver. It's going to just begin to deteriorate it away and saying that you can trust and it will begin to, to shape what we do and what we think and how we act. It, you can't trust it, but you can trust this. You can see it. You can chase it. You can measure it. You can balance it. You need more. And so Jesus comes along, or Paul in this sense comes along and says, what will you trust? What will you put hope in so you'd better be aware? You'd better know what you're facing. And there's three big problems that comes with loving money. So let me just lay them out for you this morning. So again, we can have an awareness so that we know what we're going to get hit with this week. Number one, money lovers will never have enough. And I know I've said that, and I'm going to keep saying that. We will never have enough. Ecclesiastes was written by a guy named Solomon who was king. And one of the things that, and he had it all. 
And one of the things he asked God for, he said, God, can you just give me this supernatural portion of wisdom? I want to be able to discern. I want to be able to be wise beyond my experience. I want to be wise beyond my years. And here's what he writes about it. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. It's meaningless. So this is a guy who has this supernatural ability to, to discern and see, see wisdom beyond what he can experience. And he says, listen, it's all meaningless. You will never have enough. How much is enough? How much, again, to we're happy? And the answer, like we talked about last week, is just a little bit more. It's a lie. It's an illusion. The same guy who wrote Ecclesiastes, Solomon, wrote Proverbs, or a lot of them. And I love the picture that he paints in Proverbs 18. He says that the wealth of the rich, now get this, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it's not there. It's an illusion. It a wall too high to scale. So let me, let me tell you what he's talking about here. He says rich people, wealthy people, they think it's a wall, a fortified city. So in that day and time, people would fortify their cities. They would protect their cities with these massive walls, and they would put guards on top of the wall because it would separate them from the world who desired to take what they had. And so they would build these massive walls, and they would protect. And it was not just the first line of defense. It was most of the time the last line of defense that could not be penetrated. He says rich people pretend that it is a wall that they, it is, that they have built around their city. He says, but it's not there. Every wall can be scaled. He says, so don't get caught up in the illusion that you can build a big enough wall that it is unscalable. It's all a lie. You'll never have enough. Second, money lovers will find it difficult to be big givers. You need to know that. The first lie, money lovers will never have enough. The second one is this, is that it will be difficult for you to be a big giver. I'm going to guess that all of us are guilty of this. We make statements like this. I'll give big when I get big. I'll be a big giver when I get more. I'd love to be able to do that. And I would love to be able to do this, but I just can't. But when I can afford it. When I get more, you know what? You call me back because I'll be the first one to give you. You know, I, I can't today, but when I get big, watch out. And they're lies. Because the truth is this, that rich people hoard more than anyone. And again, I said it last week because we consume more. You know, statistically speaking, this is the only stat I'm going to give you on the day. And there are exceptions to this, but the largest givers, percentage-wise, are those who make less than $12,000 a year. If you calculate it based on percentage, the largest givers, and it's proven, the bigger the stake, the lower the giving. And guys, I'm not even talking about our red boxes. I'm talking about the spirit of generosity that we live life with. It's not... How to be rich and honor God, it's how do we begin to again hoard and take what we happen. And you want to know why I believe that we're not generous in our giving always? Let me give it to you. It's two words. It's this. But what if, that's three words, but 
What if? What if keeps us from being big givers? Yeah, but what if? I mean, I mean, what if uh, this happened? I mean, what if I lose my, what if, what if, you know, that there's something unexpectedly breaks down with my car? What if, you know, I mean, what if my, my, my nephew calls and wants more tickets? I mean, what if, what if, what if? And we, what if our generosity away? Jesus tells a story about this again. I love Jesus because he just tells stories that kind of uh, somehow gets through my hard shell and says, well, let me tell you about another story. He tells a story about a widow. And he says there's this scene at the, at, the, at the temple where rich people have gathered around and they're just dumping money into the, to the, to the altar, the bins, the collection bins. And, and they're like, hey, everybody kind of gather around. In fact, I'm going to need some help with this one. And they're dumping these piles of money. He says, and there's a widow that kind of crawls through the crowd a little bit, trying to go unnoticed. And she quietly and humbly drops what's called two mites, two pennies. She walks away and everybody snickers. He says, what are we supposed to do with that? And Jesus says, she outgave everyone. She outgave all of you. Why? Because she gave all she had. He says, listen, he says, like, tune in. She trusted the one who richly provides. What you gave's not even making a dent in your kingdom. You might be given tens of thousands of dollars, but you're trusting what's left over. This lady gave all she had. She's trusting the one who richly provides. So here's what has to happen in this one. I'll give when has to change to I'll begin to give now. Because again, I'm not going to get sucked into the lie that when I get more, I'll give more. No, I'm going to begin to give and I'm going to begin to, to be generous now because I know that I'm already rich and I'm going to trust the one who richly provides. Let me give you one more. Money lovers will have money in the bank and will be broke in their hearts. There will be no peace. Proverbs 15 says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with disorder and chaos. See, better with a little and a whole lot of God than to have a whole lot of stuff and no peace about life. But here's the problem. We don't believe that. And in a moment of honor, we think we can beat that truth you're going, oh, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, you give me enough money and I'm gonna, I, will live, I will kick back on a beach and I will leave, live the most peaceful life you've ever seen. We think we're the one. If we're the, we are the one who can beat the truth that a whole lot of stuff will equal a whole lot of peace. And I remember a lesson that my dad told me in real time and in real life. My dad was friends with one of the the guys that helped develop and fund Dale. My dad got to know him because he was laying on his back with a massive heart attack about to die. And even on his back, he would request things from my dad as the minister at the time. Can you bring me a paper? I need to see what my stocks are doing. And my dad refused. And through a course of some time and him healing, 
he finally got to the place where he said, you know, Roger, he said, what I've realized is that managing wealth is hard. And again, we all look and go, man, I'd sure like to work hard for a minute. He says, it's stressful. But he said, here's what I've learned laying on my back. It'll leave you emptier than you ever expected. And it will leave you literally, in his case, heartbroken. But we think we can beat that truth. That if I have enough, then I will be stress-free. And I'll have peace that overflows and God says, chase it and see. Or you can go ahead and submit and let's begin to together craft this differently. As we close this morning, for those that don't know, I always try to <laughs> be as real as I can, especially in this moment where we're trying to push us to something greater, challenge us to something more. Some of us in this room make more than our parents ever made. Some of us in this room make more than we ever thought we would make. But yet some of us that find ourselves in those positions still find ourselves more strapped, more stressed, and more miserable. Am I right? Don't answer out loud, but I'm right. And it's because we consume everything we make. And I know people in my life who are way less wealthy, but they're also less strapped. They are less stressed, and they're not miserable. Why? Because they refuse to buy into money's lies. They know they have enough. If they never earn another dollar, if they, if they never get another raise, if they never accumulate anything else, they know, I've got enough. I've got enough. They understand how to give big and be generous. And they understand that peace has nothing to do with the size of my stack of tickets. Guys, if you think that money will solve most of your problems, you are living under the influence and power of money's lies. Because I'm going to tell you, money's not going to fix your marriage. Money is not going to mend broken relationships that have been severed for years, that all it would take is for you to say, I'm sorry, but you can't. Money's not going to fix your addiction issues. Money's not going to fix you being more attentive to your spouse. Money is not going to fix you being an intentional, godly parent. Money's not going to fix your unruly kids because you're not an attentive, intentional, loving parent. Money's not going to cure the person that you love from every disease and keep everyone that you love so dearly alive forever. And money's not going to make you any less bitter and angry and hateful. But I'm getting to know every more, every day, 
the person who has the ability to fix all those things and more. His name's Jesus. And so all I knew, know to do is say, Jesus, I'm gonna try to give you more of my life today than I did yesterday. I'm gonna try to give you more of my life tomorrow than I did today. God, I'm gonna put my hope in you and I'm gonna trust that you are the one who richly provides and I'm gonna do good. I'm gonna be generous. I'm gonna be willing to share and I'm gonna take hold of the life that is really life. And today, God, I will serve you instead of serving the money, the stuff, and the promise of the good life. Stand with me. Father, this morning as we pray, I know that there are some people here this morning that are exhausted because chasing things that don't matter and, and chasing things that only you can provide and chasing promises that only you can fulfill is exhausting. But when we stop and we begin to live into this rich life, a life that is is ordained rich because of what you've given us. It's not determined by the size of our, our checking account this afternoon. It's not determined by how much we'll make this week versus how much someone else will make. It won't be determined by what sits in our garages. It won't be determined by our garages. It won't be determined by uh, how many friends we have. It won't be determined by being noticed by our boss. And so God, can we stop chasing things that won't fix some of our deepest desires? For those that are struggling with relationships, God, will you allow them to turn to you? For those that are struggling with the hard, hard task of rearing kids, will you just allow them to stop thinking that getting them shopping sprees at the mall will fix it? No. For those of us who find ourselves waking up angry and bitter and frustrated and all the things that life tends to twist and do for us, can we stop? For those of us who are worried about going to the doctor because we can't afford the doctor, or those who have been to the doctor and got bad news and now you're not sure how you, can we stop? God, can we begin to give our whole heart, our life over to you? And the, you, you tell us over and over, you can't serve both. So make a decision. Father, for those that have, that aren't serving you and haven't surrendered their life. God, I pray this morning that they'll, they'll leave their space and they'll walk to the back at Respond or they'll come find me or they'll come into open house or they'll come find a neighbor who, who, who might know something more about this Jesus. And God, that that would be the first step that they would begin to give their life. And even if they don't know everything, God, would they just have the courage to step into asking that question and exploring what it means to, to believe and entrust their life and surrender their life to Jesus. And for those of us who have served Jesus for a long time, God, will you again shape and clean up and prune and mold us into being better servants, serving again you and you only. God, help us to be rich. Pray that through your son's name. Amen.